Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. episode of Cinema Toast Crunch. I said cinnamon there. I almost screwed that up already. And it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, no. And it definitely won't be the last. Uh, so if you can't tell, so far this week you've got uh, me, Garvis. And me, Garvis. And me, Kayla. Not uh, Garvis. Yeah. <laughs> Not another one. Not the Garvis. <laughs> so. Uh, and silently sitting in the background... Uh, after her inauspi- inauspicious non-debut last week is my wife, Verisa. Hello. <laughs> All right. So, uh, starting off with, you know, just a reminder from last week. Um, uh, this week's movie is Breakfast at Tiffany's. So, you know, if, for anyone that forgot or didn't listen. Right. Breakfast at Tiffany's from 1961. This was uh, directed by Blake Edwards who is most famous probably for the Pink Panther films hmm. and was the director, as I mentioned last time, of one of my all-time favorite comedies, S.O.B. Uh, he also directed Victor Victoria, which is one of Varese's favorite uh, films. Oh. Hmm. And both of those star his wife, Julie Andrews. Oh. Did not know that. Yes, in fact, S.O.B. was quite... Uh, controversial when it came out because it contained a topless scene of Julie Andrews, who up to that point was known mainly for uh, family entertainment, like The Sound of Music. Ah. So it was Mary Poppins, yes. It was uh, quite a a news article at the time. Now, which one of uh, Julie Andrews' movies is where she plays... As a, a chick pretending to be a dude pretending to be a chick. That was Victor Victoria. Ah, I like that movie. Ah, okay. That's the one I said was one of Grace's favorites. That was released after SOB. Hmm. Ah. Alright, so. Should we go ahead and let everyone know what's coming out this week on DVD? Sure. Uh, DVD and Blu-ray this week. And should actually apologize. It's not really... Well, I guess technically it's this week, but these are the DVD releases and the Blu-ray releases occur on Tuesdays, and we record on Wednesdays. So these actually have been in stores already for at least a day for, now. For at least a, yeah, and depending on how things are at your local store, they may have been in there longer than that because uh, some places don't know how to keep street date. But we won't go into that at the moment. <laughs> uh, the big release this week. Major motion picture, one I would like to see, Mad Max Fury Road. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Uh, I've also heard some people say it's about middle of the road. (laughs) No puns intended. Yeah, well, (laughs) I've seen all three of the previous Mad Max films, uh, the ones with Mel Gibson, and the first one I thought was a little slow. It has a couple really great scenes in it but overall I wasn't hugely impressed with it Road Warrior, the second film blew me away, I thought it was fantastic from start to finish and saw it uh, in the theaters when it came out and then have seen it numerous times on uh, one form of home video uh, and on HBO back when I used to watch HBO all the time but uh, I did not get to see Fury Road. I really wasn't all that excited about it 
when the I started. Well, let me back up. When I first heard they were going to make another Mad Max, I thought, great. And then the more, the closer it got to the release date, the less I was interested in it. Until about that last couple of days. And then I had read or seen enough stuff that it looked like, you know, this might actually be a good film. Beyond Thunderdome, which was the third film in the series, I was working for the theaters when it came out, and we did a big opening night production. We had people in costume and everything, and were really excited about it, and I did not care for it. <laughs> I thought that movie sucked. Uh, too much emphasis on the little kids that Mel Gibson was trying to save, and Tina Turner in her uh, outfit, I forget the name of her character, but it didn't really do a whole lot for me. Mm. Uh, nevertheless, I will say that it was one of the first films that I got on DVD and listened to in stereo. That was back in the days when all the uh, VCRs and all of the TVs were mono. And I know that well before you're... <laughs> yeah, although I'm familiar with the concept of mono, so... Yeah. But I had gotten a stereo VCR, and I hooked that up and had it run through the stereo and just... Oh, it could <laughs> never get any better than this, you know? <laughs> but, Even if the movie sucked. Yeah. But funny thing about uh, Mad Max Fury Road, apparently they're supposed to be making more movies in that line of... Uh, Mad Max movies. It doesn't surprise me. It did remarkably well at the box office. Critically, it did much better than I would have ever expected it to do. Yeah. Um, there's actually, and granted, this is still a little early to be... Praising talking, it? Yeah, well, I'm saying talking about... But there's been uh, some possible Oscar talk. I don't really... I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to, to buy into By that. By the time the Oscars get here, people have forgotten it was even out. Well, you never know. Silence of the Lambs came out in February and won the Oscar that year for Best Picture, Best yeah. Actor, Best Actress. That's true. So, so anyway, so what else is coming out? Uh, also out this week, we have the, uh, speaking of Julie Andrews earlier, we have the Mary Martin version of Peter Pan. Okay. Um, Peter Pan, the story's been around, you know, for a long time. Yeah. But uh, they did a, obviously at the time, a live broadcast of Peter Pan back in, I want to say the late 50s, mid-late 50s. It was an, one of the earliest TV, well, I'm sure it would be the earliest TV production of it. And it starred Mary Martin, who had been playing Peter Pan on Broadway, and it was a, a classic, and for many years they would replay it. Uh, but then it kind of disappeared, and for years and years and years you just never got to see it. I seem to re I seem to remember. Didn't you have that on like VHS a long time ago? Yes, I did. In the uh, the late '80s, they did a VHS release, and it got huge, huge, you know, hype and media attention because it was the first time it was being made available to many audiences, and it was the first time, honestly, I had ever seen it. And I. Nineteen sixty. Okay, well, that's about as late in the fifties as you can get. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it was. It wasn't one of my favorite things I've seen, but it was enjoyable enough. Okay, because yeah, like I said, I remember seeing it on the shelf in the VHSs, and I've never actually sat down and watched it. Well, it is coming out to Blu-ray and DVD uh, yesterday. Ah, uh, okay. As of this recording. Right. Okay. Uh, another title I'm not familiar with at all, but uh, we were looking through the titles at uh, thedigitalbits.com, and this one caught my eye, and that was Army of Frankensteins. The tagline, the North, the South, the Undead. That just, it, it sounds like one of those bad sci-fi movies, like the one that comes out, doesn't get good responses, and then they try to sweep under the rug, and just like they try to throw a DVD release out there, like a month or two after it's hit their you know airwaves, 
And it's just like, okay, let's let's get this thing out, out of here as quick as possible and just be done with it. I, I'm not sure. For all I know, it could be a direct-to-DVD, not even have made the Sci-Fi Channel or that's possible or anything. But Might have to see if I can find it and see if it's on like the $5 bin or something. It just sounds like a cheese fest that I... <laughs> yeah. 2014 American Horror Comedy. Ah. Okay. Anyway, so... Okay, uh, we also have uh, notable releases on Blu-ray, The Harder They Come. This is uh, one of the original cult classics. It is a reggae film, hmm. and I've seen bits and pieces of it. They played it on um, uh, TCM Underground one oh. night, and I watched part of it there. The... The accents were a little uh, difficult to... No, they're just a little difficult to uh, comprehend, especially when it's playing at midnight. And at that point, I didn't work midnight, so midnight mm. was late mm. for me. Ah. And um, it was enjoyable enough, but it wasn't something I got extremely excited about. That, oh, you've got to see this movie, you've got to see this movie. Which is what tends to, to make a cult film a cult film is people getting that excited about it. Yeah. That, you know, you not only did you have to see it, you have to see it again, but you've got to drag two more people with you. And then they have to see it. And then they have to take other people and they have to see it. And I really would like to sit down and watch it sometime. And I've got the, the DVD, but uh, I just felt it was worth mentioning that it is coming out on Blu-ray, or as I said, actually it's out on Blu-ray now. Okay. Um, another film that already been on TV, but uh, is making its release on home video, is Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. And this is the documentary that uh, it aired on CNN a couple, well, maybe a month ago. And it deals with Glenn Campbell, the uh, country singer, and his battle with Alzheimer's. Oh. And Glenn Campbell, when I was growing up, I was a huge Glenn Campbell fan. He had uh, first appeared on television on the old Smothers Brothers comedy hour, which my uh, father-in-law was a huge fan of that show when it aired. Mm. Uh, of course, he wasn't my father-in-law when it was airing, but... Yeah. And I have seen the old Glenn Campbell TV show, which he got that deal because of his success on the Smothers Brothers show and with his song, uh, Gentle on My Mind. Mm. But... Um, he was just a phenomenon back in the day and uh, he had a few songs that I still have on 45 the um, Rhinestone Cowboy and Sunflower oh now you might want to just as, as a thing you might want to explain to anyone who has no idea what a 45 is I want to explain that to them because there are some people that Probably have no idea unless they're a hipster. Yeah, well, as I said, I'm an old fart. <laughs> uh, back in the day, kids, we used to get our music on these pieces of vinyl called records. And a full-size album was a 33 and a third, and that referred to the speed at which it went around on the turntable. Well, singles were released on a much smaller disc, and they were called... 45s because they played at 45 RPM. It spun around 45 revolutions per minute. Yeah. And we just referred to them as 45s and we referred to the albums as 33s if we didn't just refer to them as albums. Right. But, um... LPs. LPs. That too. Uh, which stood for long playing. So Alright. I've always wondered about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and there were actually... Uh, not that any of us would remember them, because it was even before my time, but they used to be uh, 16s. Wow. Yeah. What we used to do, we'd get the record players, and they would have the speed for the 16, the 33, and the 45. Mm -hmm. And so you'd put an album... Yeah, and 78s. 78s were even faster, mm. obviously. No, oh, no, they were bigger. Mm. A 78 was about... Uh, halfway or a little more between a 45 and a 33. Oh, okay. 
but they played at 78 revolutions per minute. Gramophones. Oh. But uh, we would take our little 30, we'd put our 33s on and turn the speed up to 78, and it sounded like the chipmunks singing. <laughs> or you'd put a, you know, a, a 33 on or a 45 on and play it at 16. <laughs> Good and that's where we got our entertainment back in the days before video games. So, well, I'm f- and we're a few records in the process. Oh, I didn't ruin them. Didn't do any damage to the ones I had. <laughs> Throwing them like frisbees. Now that would do damage to. And we. Why do I think little guard did that when he was a kid? I don't know that he ever did, but I did when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah, but, you, yeah. By the time I was you know, running around as a kid, um, if I got into his records, I. I usually found out, you know, shortly afterwards, you don't do that. Yes, he got one of those dad's blistering ear uh, <laughs> lectures. Yeah, he he was one for cassettes at the time. Unfortunate, and uh, those unfortunate things. Yeah. All right. The, uh, the final new release I want to mention on home video just completely threw me for a loop when we found it here, and I don't know if it's, maybe it's a re-release... But uh, apparently you now have a, if it's a re-release, you have another chance to buy. If not, it's out there. Uh, MST3K, Volume 1. Mystery Science Theater 3000, Volume 1. Now what um, surprised me is there have been 33 or 34 volumes of MST3K made available on home, home video release. Of course, the early ones are very difficult to locate anymore and very expensive a lot of times. So they may just be re-releasing some of the early ones. Possible. But uh, MST3K, for anyone that doesn't remember it, because it has been... It's been a fair amount of time. ...since it aired, was um, these guys would sit and watch a really cheesy movie... And you'd see their silhouette, you'd see the silhouette of one guy and two robots. It was, uh, in the early seasons, it was Joel and Crow and Tom Servo. Yeah. And you would see their silhouettes watching the movie in the little corner, and they would make comments all through the movie. Yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, because I I could be, but I thought I heard this somewhere, that the guys who did MST3K went on to do what is known as Rift Tracks now online. That is correct. They did. Okay. Uh, they could not get the rights to take a film like, let's say, Battlefield Earth. Right. The John Travolta classic, air quotes, uh, <laughs> from several years back. They couldn't get the rights to do that on MST3K or on any show, for that matter. Yeah. But what they could do is they could go and they could queue it up and they could watch it and then they could record their comments and make a digital file of that and then tell you, okay, go out and buy your own copy and when the logo comes up, hit play. And Mm. you get to listen to their riff track while watching. So it's kind of like MST3K just without the Without the movie, yeah. yeah. Well, I think you can actually probably buy little silhouettes to put on your TV screen if you're so inclined. Yeah, probably could. Um, How about theaters this week? You want to talk about movies? Yeah, because there's at least one I saw... Now, it's not coming out this week, I don't think. But I saw the trailer for it, and it looked really good. Oh, what was that? Uh, Macbeth. Okay. They're releasing Macbeth? It's not this week. Uh, I don't know when exactly it is, but I saw the trailer for it, and it's like, that actually looks kind of cool. Yeah, I didn't know. Whatever they're doing. Releasing it in movie form? They're rebooting Macbeth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, it's the same. I'm I'm sure it's just a new take on it. uh, Uh, Macbeth, though, has been filmed numerous times. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw the trailer for that on something. I think it was was on a YouTube video I was watching. That trailer came up on the front of it and was like, this looks interesting. Okay, so here's my question. What makes this version of Macbeth unique from the previous versions? For, for me, it's just the way the uh, the looks are updated for the movie. 
you know, the technology that's come along. Okay. I've not seen any of the previous incarnations of the movie Macbeth. Okay. I will be I will be dead honest. I've not seen them. Now I've read the tale. I know the tale. Okay. Um, because that was one of those things we did for English class in high school. Yeah. It's like a I guess a, a, a tradition to do that. Macbeth, Hamlet, and Romeo and Juliet and Julius Caesar were the four we covered when I was in school. Well, we hey, made summer it. Night's dream. We made it through Macbeth and Beowulf. Beowulf's not, um... Yeah, Beowulf's not Shakespeare. I know, but it was one of those cases that we didn't get through the rest of Shakespeare. We only got through that one because the term ran out. Yeah. But as far as, like, old tales go, you know, that's... Yeah, we got through uh, Macbeth, Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, Romeo and Juliet, and... Now, one of the previous English classes I had, we did Romeo and Juliet in the most unorthodox of ways. Yes. We the watched... Movie. Uh, we watched, uh, what was it, West Side Story? Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Which I didn't think was a bad movie. No, no, it's not a bad film. But, yeah, so, I mean, th this, you know, incarnation of Macbeth looks neat with, you know, the, today's graphics. Okay. Doesn't mean I won't, you know, dig through your DVDs and find an old copy, but I'm sure you've got one somewhere. I'm trying to think. I'm sure I've got something, but I'm trying to remember which other. I always get, for some reason, I get Macbeth and Hamlet. Mm. confused as to which ones are which. Um, Kenneth Branagh did a great version, I believe, of Macbeth. Mm. And then, of course, Laurence Olivier did the most famous, probably, uh, filmed version of Macbeth. And I might have Branagh's. I don't think I've got Olivier's. Okay. But, um... Timmy of the Shrew was the other one. Mm. Okay. Anyway, so what's coming out this week? Uh, well, this week, according to IMDb, the two releases are the Transporter Refueled, which is the, what, fourth Transporter movie, but... I don't know. I don't keep up with it. It's the first one without Jason Statham. It looks like a good, like, popcorn action film, but that's about it. I'm looking on the IMDb page, and it looks like they're only giving it a 4.2 on there. Yeah, well, it hasn't come out yet. It starts, uh, it hits theaters on the 4th, so you're only getting, uh, well, 664 users, according to this, have... Uh, Already seen it? No, they've given it a vote. Doesn't mean oh. they've seen it. Oh, okay. Keep that in mind. Yeah. But, I mean, like I said, it just looks like a, a, you know, a fun popcorn action movie. Yeah. Not something that's really high on my list of movies to go see, but once again, you know, if someone was going to go, you know, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's go see this movie. I'm paying for the ticket. You know, I, you know again, I would probably go see it. Well, I think if someone was paying for your ticket, you would still go. That's um, what he said he would go. Yeah. But I'm the it, one that said... Yeah, but do anything yeah. else. Uh, no. If someone said, hey, I'm gonna go, we're going to go see the Spongebob movie. I'm going to buy your ticket. I'm going to go, uh, no. Well, no, wait a minute. Was that the one with David Hasselhoff? It doesn't matter I like the one with David I, Hasselhoff. The second one kind of sucked. Don't get me wrong. She went and saw it. I thought and he Tony was in the second No, Antonio Banderas is in the second one. Well, if it's got Antonio Banderas in it, I mean... Yeah, he, Yeah, still no. Antonio, I love Antonio Banderas, but it's Spongebob movie. Yeah, no. Still still not going to go see it. Really? I, I I would... I would sooner stick my feet in a box of Wolverines. I would don't, get... Wait, don't <laughs> put your, your feet shoes. near my Wolverine comic book. <laughs> <laughs> As it's wet! Uh... Anna so, cannot help us now. Oh. Uh, so, and the other one is A Walk in the Woods. Right. And that is a, a new Robert Redford, Nick Nolte film. Hmm. Uh, I like Robert Redford and I like Nick Nolte, but I'm not so excited by either one of them that I have to rush out and see, you know, a particular film because they are in it. Uh yeah. It's one of those films that if it was on TV and I was uh, in the same room, I would probably watch it. Uh, it's not one I'm going to rush out and go see. Though. Right. And if I'm reading that correct, it looks like it comes out today. That's what it's at the what time of this like. recording. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, again, you know, not one I'm planning on rushing out to go see. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep in mind, I don't, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, so... Yeah. I'm not really into it either. Uh, but anyway. Well, the description they give is, after spending two decades in England, Bill Bryson returns to the U.S. where he decides the best way to connect with his homeland is to hike the Appalachian Trail with one of his oldest friends. So, he, it sounds like he's hiking through part of West Virginia. Eh, possibly. Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, yeah. the Carolinas. Yeah, yeah, where the Appalachians go through. Dog, you're not a cat. You're I can totally see the ending of it, though. It's two old guys hiking the Appalachians. One of them's going to die. Well, it does say it's a comedy, so... Yeah, I doubt it. Adventure comedy drama. There you go, drama. Bear attack. Bear um, attack, pretty much. Heart uh, attack. Uh, bear attack and basically uh, every bear myth in the world explored. Yeah, probably. And, uh, and, and 20 seconds of uh, advertising fame. Yeah. And I have a feeling there's going to be some kind of either old guy nudie scene. You're just Ew. hoping. No. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. You just want to see Robert Redford's ass. Come on. No! No, it's Nick Nolte. Mmm. I don't want and, to see either ass. And the thing is, I saw an, a still from this, and Nick Nolte looks so much like Ned Beatty in it. And, of course, Ned Beatty was in the classic Deliverance, Deliverance. scene. Mm. Oh, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. So... Do a bit just run the other way. Uh, All right. All right. So, uh, today's film, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Kayla chose uh, for us to watch. She has seen it. Yes. And is, I'm assuming, a fan of it. I don't think she would subject us to a film she... Well. Uh, my daughter uh, has seen it, and she absolutely fell in love with it. I have never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's one of those films I've been meaning to see, I've been wanting to see because of its classic status. Uh, it's an Audrey Hepburn film, and up until 2010, I had not seen any of Audrey Hepburn's films. And I watched Funny Face, and I was disappointed in Funny Face. I really was expecting a lot more, I guess, and uh, didn't didn't live up to what I was expecting. Ah. But uh, we'll see how Breakfast at Tiffany's goes. As I said, it's Blake Edwards, so that gives me some hope. More hope, yes. Now, Marisa, you said you had seen Breakfast at Tiffany's? I had, but it's been a long time ago. A very long time ago. We're talking uh, late 70s, early 80s. Okay. Yes. And had you ever seen it, Gar? Nope. I only knew it existed. So. Yeah. I, my most uh, <laughs> knowledge of Breakfast at Tiffany's is uh, the song. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's about as far as my knowledge goes too. So, yeah. In fact, because a, a, when she after she suggested it, that song has been stuck in my head off and is on. Is that what you were getting mad at me about? Like it's your fault. It's no, bed. no. Well, there's something else stuck in my head that's all your fault. But we'll discuss <laughs> that later. Yeah, well, Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, the song is not in the movie, Breakfast at Tiffany's, so you do have that to look forward what? to. Yeah. Blue River is. Right. Uh, and I believe Verissa said that, uh, and I haven't checked, and I'm not up on my trivial uh, Oscar knowledge, but uh, that Moon River won the Oscar that year for Best Song. Is that... Yes. She's shaking her head in the background. Yes. Two Oscars. Uh, best Music. Original song, Moon River, and best scoring of a drama or comedy for Henry Mancini. And Mancini worked with Blake Edwards on the Pink Panther films, creating the iconic Pink Panther theme. Oh. You know, I've still got to watch the Pink Panther movies. I've only seen, like, bits of them. Yeah. They, they swing wildly. The first couple are, well, the first one is more a David Niven film than a Pink Panther film, in my opinion. It's been a long time since I saw it, but I remember watching it thinking it was very dry. Hmm. Uh, a Shot in the Dark was another Inspector Clouseau film, and the second one in the Pink Panther series, but they didn't have the Pink Panther in the title. And once again, yeah, I watched it. I don't remember caring a whole lot about it. 
then I believe the next one was Return of the Pink Panther, which I saw, I was real young. We went up to the uh, Plaza East and saw it. And it was okay, but I wasn't sold on it. It wasn't until the next film that I sat there and laughed my ass off at a Pink Panther film. And I can't remember if that was Strikes Again or Revenge of the Pink Panther. Mm. But uh, those two, I absolutely loved both of those. And then uh, after that, it once again started uh, slacking off quite a bit. You had Trail of the Pink Panther and Curse of the Pink Panther, uh, one of which featured... Peter Sellers had died during the making of it, so it featured basically outtakes from other Pink Panther films. Um, David Niven, I believe, was in it once again, but his voice was so bad from throat cancer that his voice had to be dubbed in by Rich Little, who was a... uh, He was a Class A uh, impressionist from the time. And then the... um, the next film of those two, I don't remember, I think Trail was the one with the outtakes and then Curse of the Pink Panther, they had a brand new Inspector Clouseau. And I don't even think it was, maybe even, he was even named Clouseau, I don't mm. recall. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't very good either. The franchise set dormant for a long time and then they came up with Son of the Pink Panther, which starred Roberto Benigni, uh, who won the Oscar for Life is Beautiful. Mm. And it was... Huh? Life is Beautiful? Yeah. I loved it. Is that the one with the Italian... It's an Italian video, a movie about the father, son, something about the Nazi war? Yeah. Yeah. They're uh, Jews in a concentration camp. Mm. And um, it, was a, it was a decent enough film. And he, as I said, he won the Oscar, he famously climbing over the chairs to get to the stage where he accepted the award from Sophia Loren. Hmm. So, uh, he was a lot younger at that time, and he was supposed to be playing Clouseau's uh, child, oh. illegitimate child, I believe. And um, it wasn't a horrible film, but once again, it just it didn't live up to Peter Sellers. And uh, what he had done with it. Yeah. And the Pink Panther set once again dormant until Steve Martin came along and they did a Pink Panther remake, reboot. I think it was. And a sequel. I think it was a reboot yes. and a sequel. Right. And. I've seen the reboot. Not the sequel. So, I've not seen the reboot or the sequel, but from pe- from what I've heard from people who have seen it, it. Re- the trailers were better than the actual movie. I have seen neither of them. I love Steve Martin. I grew up right as he was hitting the big time. Mm. Uh, his appearances on the early Saturday Night Lives, uh, his classic comedy albums, uh, Wild and Crazy Guy, and Let's Get Small. Mm. Uh, and his music career. Right, but his music career was, uh, well, other than King Tut, was uh, a lot later. Yeah. That's when he decided to uh, take banjo playing seriously. And he is a very accomplished musician, but, um, as I said, a lot of his later films I've just not been yeah. uh, as know, excited about. I I like about. Cheaper by the Dozen. Yeah, again, not seen it, but... Seen I've it. seen bits of it, actually. I, sh- I, I sh- shouldn't say I haven't seen it. I've seen bits of it, and I... It was one I was like, well, I mean, if there was nothing else on, I might watch it, but yeah. you know, it'd be easier for me to go and grab a DVD. It's something I want to watch. Well, I can, I can agree with that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, do we want to go ahead and uh, go get started on this movie? Yeah. Let's uh, let's get started with Breakfast at Tiffany's. All right. And we'll leave them with the trailer while we go watch the movie. Okay. Thank you. 
Won't you join me? Yes, join Audrey Hepburn as you've never seen her before, kicking over the traces and bringing to life Truman Capote's breakfast at Tiffany's. I never could do that. Audrey Hepburn as Holly Golightly, who typifies and glorifies the glamorous playmates of this dizzily spinning world as she and George Pippard breeze through the glitter and shimmer of New York as it has never been captured before. You have a special invitation to attend Audrey Hepburn's open house on the wildest night New York ever knew. Yes. Oh. oh, good evening, Ed. I'll tell you one thing, Fred, darling. I'd marry you for your money in a minute. Would you marry me for my money? In a minute. So I guess it's pretty lucky neither of us is rich, huh? Please, darling, don't sit there looking at me like that. Holly, I'm in love with you. So what? So what? So plenty. I love you. You belong to me. No. People don't belong to people. Of course they do. I'm not going to let anyone put me in a cage. I don't want to put you in a cage. I want to love you. Audrey Hepburn and George Papard, searching for love in the big town, but sharing only part of their lives until they find the deep, warm moment of truth that can't be hidden, even by the oddball antics on the brittle surface of New York. Watching uh, breakfast at Tiffany's. So, uh, uh, just you know, I, I haven't seen this movie, so I didn't know what to expect walking into it. Same here. I had uh, never seen it, and I honestly, I really didn't know what the plot of it was. And I tried to keep myself purposely ignorant once we decided that it was going to be the film we watched this week. Um, even I think if I had known anything, I'm not sure it would have changed my uh, my opinion of the film. Yeah, it was easy for me to stay pretty well ignorant of you know, everything to it because it's you know I just I don't go looking for things if I'm you know expecting to go and see it. Right. So. I uh, I won't say I remain sorry uh, completely uh, sheltered from. Uh, spoilers or from trailers or whatever uh, even if I am going to see it but I don't actively pursue or actively seek out uh, information that might spoil or have an impact on my enjoyment of a film uh, in fact you know I waited or had you wait till we had watched the film before we downloaded the trailer music uh, for them to yeah. hear on the podcast and the reason for that you know, they keep talking about modern trailers giving away the whole movie and giving away the ending to a movie. But Breakfast at Tiffany's was made in 1961, and we just watched the trailer. You all just heard the trailer, so you couldn't see it in there necessarily. But the trailer features two shots, and one of them a very long scene that the dialogue and everything is in the, film, in the trailer, and the other is the final shot of the movie and both of them are in the trailer right yeah but i mean if yeah and i wouldn't have known that those were what they were if i hadn't seen the movie first true but then you sit in there watching the movie and you're like well okay i know this happens at some point yeah and you know the scene they show the final shot of the of the film is them standing in the rain in the embrace and kissing and so when they're in the cab and it's raining 
you know, you know, if you've seen that trailer, you know, okay, yeah, there's the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I always refer to it as the quarantine factor. Because the movie Quarantine, the end of the movie was in the trailer. The actual last scene was in the trailer. And then they took a still from the very last scene, and that was the one-sheet poster. Yeah. And that was the DVD cover. And that was the biggest case of giving away the end of the film before you even started it that I've ever heard of. Uh, I uh, do a blog. I haven't been doing it for the last month and a half because I've been busy, and prior to that it had been, I don't know, uh, four or five years since I had worked on it. Yeah. But um, I would watch the trailers of the films that I was reviewing on it and refer to it as the quarantine factor, and rated it on a scale of one to five. And you know, this one, as I said, right off the bat, you see the end of the uh, the movie. Plus, they even tell you in the uh, voiceover to the trailer, you know, that they're uh, doing whatever until that final pivotal, you know, moment or whatever. It's like okay, you know, you're just giving away the man, yeah. basically the whole plot of the movie. Although honestly. I can't say that the film had a huge, you know, labyrinthine plot of any sort. It didn't seem very cohesive to me. I mean, it looked like they had, you know, a general idea where they wanted to take it and just kind of ran with it because there was a lot of stuff that, to me, didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, okay, you're going to have to explain all that one. Okay. Uh, when they went out to go and drink. Okay. And they wound up at essentially a strip club. Right. Okay. They could have been anywhere else. You know, why a strip club? What what purpose what purpose did that serve throughout the entirety of the movie? They it could have gotten the same effect by going to just a regular like bar somewhere, you know, and having, you know, the conversation, you know, where you know, it's like, okay, yeah, you're drunk. It could have been anyone that walked by. Um I get why they went to a strip club. Well, enlighten me. Yes. All right. Uh, both of them desire money, basically. He is basically a male prostitute if you didn't get that off the bat. I and she's trying have... to marry into money. And strippers, what do they do? They strip for? Money. There you go. Yeah, but... Bartenders tend bar for money. Librarians check out books for money. Yeah, I mean... It, again, it doesn't seem to me like it served any sort of purpose other than to be there. I really didn't have that much of a problem with that. That, that's, th- that scene didn't, you know, affect me one way or another. To me, it was, you know, it was kind of showing you that they were going to the, uh, one of the spots in New York that is not going to be maybe, you know, the mainstream. You know, it's a club, it's a nightclub, and they got a stripper there, okay? And she was not dressed like a, a stripper that, you know, you'd think of today. It was a very classical, almost vaudevillian... Gypsy Roses. You know, type, yeah. And okay. so that didn't bother me at all. The thing that got me was the whole uh, Buddy Ebsen subplot. You know, where they bring in, you know, Doc Golightly, her husband that she'd annulled the marriage and left. You know, if you're going to bring him in, I'm assuming there's going to be a reason. There's going to be a purpose. He's in one scene, and it really did nothing, in my mind, to further the plot, to further the movie along. I, I kept expecting them to come back to that at some point, and they just kind of never did. The whole... The whole idea, the whole plot, the whole thing of her having this husband, this marriage had been annulled, and having this other family and so forth, all of that could have easily been covered in a few lines of dialogue. You didn't have to go through the whole scene with Buddy Ebsen. Not that I mind Buddy Ebsen, but uh, I just thought he was very superfluous to the movie. And I can't look at him and not think of Jed Clampett. Thank you. And 
then you're looking at him too, and he's a much, much older man than Audrey Hepburn, and he's talking about marrying her at 14, which back then was not a big thing, but these days it's like, oh, okay, so you've been eating at Subway or something, you know. Um, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, I mean... Yeah, you know... It just was a little creepy to look at that relationship in a, uh, a modern setting. Yeah. As I said, this was made in 61. I'm not sure when Truman Capote wrote the novel that it's based on. But, uh, right. you know, different time period. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I've learned, you know, movies that have been adapted from novels, there's a, there are things that they cut out, you know, for, you know, time's sake most times. Well, yeah. So, you know, in the book there might be a he might play a bigger role in the, you know, the, uh, the you know, Doc character might play a bigger role in the book. Yeah. I don't know. You know. I haven't read the book. Okay. But, you know, yeah, it did seem like, you know, it, you know, his being there didn't really add anything to the movie other than to, you know, just be there. I'll just have to pick up the book. Yeah, you, that's yeah. your homework. You have to get the book and read it. <laughs> that, that's not homework for her. That's like an afternoon. Yeah. So... Um, the other things you were talking about, you know, that kind of seemed out of place or drew you out of the picture. Early on in the uh, in the movie, she wakes up. The buzzer is going off where George Papard's character is trying to get into the building. Yeah. And she's been out from a night of partying, and she's laying in bed, obviously naked. You know, covered with the blanket and the share the sheet. Yeah. And she's in her apartment by herself. But she reaches out and grabs her nightgown, or it looked more like a man's shirt. That's yeah. what I thought, yeah. too. That, you know, she pulls under the covers and puts... I'm sorry, but that's not natural behavior. If you're in your own house, alone, in your room, you're not going to worry about throwing off the sheet and putting your shirt on or you know, yeah, getting out of bed. Yeah, it's a movie and well, modesty lo- uh, thing back in the day. Yeah, and... Oh, well, I understand, but it still took me out of the, the moment because... Yeah. Well, and if... I'm one of those people that, you know, like, when someone comes up and starts knocking on the door and, like, the dog goes bananas... Yeah. I don't answer the door without a shirt. Right. I, but, I, you, but you don't crawl under the covers and put the shirt on, do you? No. Okay. You know, you'd get up out of bed, you'd grab the shirt, you'd put the shirt on, and you'd go to the door. Yeah. That's my point. You know, I was where she was she putting should... it on while she was still under the cover. Right. I'm not saying she should, wouldn't have put a shirt on before she went to the door. I don't think she'd have, you know, gone to the door and said, hi. You know, wow. <laughs> um, but I don't think she would have pulled the shirt under the covers and put it on. Right. And as far as, you know, the laws and stuff back in the 60s, yes, there were uh, different guidelines and stuff for nudity and uh, relationships and stuff in film back then. But, at the same time, she could have gotten up out of bed with her back turned to the camera, or they could have cut it, they could have blocked it, they could have filmed it in such a way that you see she's putting something on. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways they could have done it that would have been a little bit better. You know, Or even just show her reach out and grab the, the shirt throw the, you know, throw, show her hand throwing the cover back, so you know she's going to put it on, and then cut to the scene where she's at the door. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I found um, I won't say disturbing, because it's difficult to disturb my yeah. twisted mind, but um, interesting was the uh, Mickey Rourke <laughs> ex- guy. Mean Mickey Rooney? Or Mickey Rooney, sorry, yeah. Mickey Rourke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what we get for talking about other films. Yeah. Okay, Uh, but the the Mickey Rooney uh, very bad uh, racial stereotype uh, Japanese man. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny. Oh, I'm not saying it wasn't funny, but it's just... it. The costume that they gave him with the... The huge teeth and everything. It was like something out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. Uh, back when we were fighting the Nazis in World War II and the Japanese, you know, were. Oh, yeah. I've seen a couple us. of those old cartoons yeah. where, like, the Japanese guy has got, like, this severe, like, just his oh, upper jaw is like. Yeah, huge overbite. Yeah. yeah. Beaver teeth. 
And, um, you know, if that appeared in a film today, there would be such an outcry. Just because everybody's sensitive anymore. That's what I was going to say. Everybody gets butt hurt over the slightest thing anymore. You know what's funny? Butt hurt uh, made it into the I think it was the Webster's Dictionary. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, you should see the list, but that's that's later. Yeah. Uh, but no, overall though, the movie itself. I mean, even with you know you know the things that you know we had issue with, especially I mean, I still enjoyed the movie. Oh, I enjoyed it too. I didn't have you know, issues. That's with, but I'm a... you know. Now I'm not gonna I'm not going to you know immediately rush and go watch it again. But if someone's like, hey, you want to watch Breakfast at Tiffany's? You know, yeah, sure. I got nothing else to do. Yeah. <coughs> I yeah. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it and would have no problems watching it again. I just as I said, you know, it was a couple things that kind of pulled me out of the film, and then a couple things that just, you know, for whatever reason, as I said. You kind of your brain has to go into a different mode when yeah. you're watching. It's a good example. I was listening to uh, an Eddie Murphy comedy CD from the '80s mm-hmm. in the car one day, and he was doing this bit that you know I remember watching it when I was in high school and mm-hmm. laughing and think, "Oh, this is hysterical." And I watched it with a new 2014, 2015, I think mindset. at that time. Yeah, mindset. And I was like, oh my God, did he just drop the minor F-bomb? Not, you know. <coughs> it, it just, it's not, not something you hear from a, especially a major star much anymore. Yeah. And so, as I said, the Mickey Rooney bit just kind of... And I knew it was there. I'd forgotten which film it was, but he had played an Asian character that was really reliant on uh, stereotypes. Yeah. And all. But uh, I'd forgotten it was this film. <laughs> it was as bad as Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Tropic Thunder as the black guy. But that was done for comedic effect. Yeah. There was, You know, they were making fun of what you were to be offended by. Yeah. You know, it, there's a, a difference. It's like uh, watching uh, Bamboozled, the Spike Lee film, or watching, um, I'm not saying he was necessarily making fun of it, but uh, what was the other film? There's a, uh, there's a National Lampoon film out there about uh, jokes. I think it's, in fact, called National Lampoon's A Dirty Joke or something mm. to that effect, or Dirty Jokes. And it all leads up to uh, a couple racist jokes. Mm. But the joke is the fact that they know these are racist jokes and they're putting it in, you know. Yeah. It becomes a whole different subtext. It's not like, you know, hey, here's this joke we're telling you because it's really funny. It's like, hey, here's a joke about this joke. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry. Eyes itching. <laughs> but. Okay. So, uh, on a scale of, uh, what did we say, one to five? Yeah. Um, even though I still, like, like I said, I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not what I'm going to go, like, seek out, you know, and go watch. But if someone was going to put it on, you know, I'd, I'd watch it if I yeah. had nothing else going on. So, I'd give it about a 3.5. Okay. 4.5. Four point five. Okay. Um, Breakfast of for me is another four. I thought it was a good movie, very enjoyable, um, very well made in a lot of respects. I mean, yeah. I I don't know if it was just me. Uh, there was a couple, and I'm getting real, not real technical because I don't know the technicalities of it, but there was a couple close-ups of Audrey that looked like they were in almost a very soft focus. Mm. Uh, the old thing about putting Vaseline on the lens to make it look, you know, it was that type of thing. It, she looked almost one click away from being out of focus, and then they cut back to George Pappard, and he was, you know, just crystal perfect. Yeah. But, 
Well, there was a there was a particular scene that I noticed that like you could see the focus shift. Yeah. Um, it was like right after they got back from that five and ten store. Yeah. And he you know leans in to you know kiss her. It's like you can see the focus just like blur out. It's like what the heck just uh, okay. Yeah, I like I said that kind of uh, threw me. I'm not sure what the the purpose was. Like whether it was just to try to make her look. A little less focused, or you know, to uh, go with her personality, or and speaking of her personality, have either of you seen What's Up, Doc? Yes. No. Audrey Hepburn's character, especially at the beginning of the movie, reminded me so much of Barbara Streisand's character in What's Up, Doc. I just, I, I kept thinking, you know, this is, this is the mother of that character, you know. I mean, <laughs> Because they were almost identical in their speech patterns and yeah. you know, everything. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, so another successful movie. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, for next week, we have decided to go with the... And this actually took us a little bit to figure this one out. Because, uh, to be fair, you know, if you all haven't heard yet... Uh, Wes Craven recently passed away. And so we debated on, well, do we do a Wes Craven movie in honor of him passing away? And eventually we decided that would set this odd precedent for when, you know, major, you know, film people pass away trying to watch a movie. And we didn't want to get roped into something we didn't want to see or, you know, getting roped into, you know, you know, being stuck with this, you know, pattern of, oh, well, this person died, well, let's go find a movie. Well, the only one I've got is this, or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, it's sad that he's gone, you know, but, you know, we will at least, you know, me, you know, mention, it, you know, if we catch these, you know, hey, look, so-and-so's past, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe we could try and, you know, highlight some of the movies they've worked on. Yeah, Wes Craven is, uh, was one of my favorite horror directors. I've seen a huge part of the body of his work. The only negative thing I can say about Wes Craven was that toward the end of his career he got really good at selling his name to be on projects. Uh, you would see a film come out, Wes Craven's such and such. And he had nothing to do with it other than you know, somebody said, "Hey, here's a few thousand dollars. Can we put your name on the front of this movie?" And, yeah, sure. You know. Yeah. And that I had a little bit of an issue with, but I don't know. Maybe he was actually trying to tutor and work with uh, new young talent, and that's why he was allowing them to put his name on there. Maybe there was a, a very philanthropic reason for him doing that, or philanthropic reason for him doing that. Um, that I'm not aware of, and if that's the case, then I feel like a schmuck. But um, on the other hand, when you see a movie advertised as you know Wes Craven presents such and such, and you go to see it and it's not Wes Craven, uh, it's a little bit of a disappointment. But he did make a fantastic, very little seen horror film that if I had on Blu-ray or DVD. We would have watched, and that's Deadly Blessing. Mm. I've seen that. You've seen that? Yes. I've not. I didn't I, know it existed. I love that movie. I forget who the actress is, but I know uh, Ernest Borgnine's in it, and the great Michael Berryman, who was in a bunch of Craven's films, including the original Hills Have Eyes. Uh, both of them were in it. And uh, I just I saw it at Plaza East when it came out back in probably the 80s. And thought it was fantastic, but it just disappeared, and you couldn't find it anywhere. Just recently, uh, I believe Scream Factory, the uh, outlet that does horror for Shout Factory, had released it on Blu-ray, and while I have not actually watched any of the Scream Factory Blu-rays or DVDs, everything I have heard about them, everything I have seen about them, the art, the extras, everything makes me lean in believing that they are the criterion of 
horror when it comes to Blu-ray and DVD. Okay. So, with that said, uh, no, we will not be doing a Wes Craven movie. Um, we are going to be doing a movie, uh, it's called Exists. It's a Bigfoot movie. It's directed by Eduardo Sanchez, who did the uh, movie The Blair Witch Project. But don't hold that against this movie if yeah. you're not a Blair Witch fan. Um, Exists was a movie that I heard touted to the heavens on the Horror Movie Podcast, which is a podcast I highly recommend if you are serious about horror films. In fact, their tagline is, they're dead serious about horror movies. And the guys on that show do a fantastic job of dissecting and looking at horror in all of its forms in the movies. We're talking horror tropes, we're talking horror films, we're talking horror series. They did, uh, last year in the month of October, a... I believe it was weekly rundown of the entire Halloween franchise from the first movie through the last Rob Zombie film and then spent another week recapping everything and you say okay well so they did about five hours on Halloween no 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 each podcast that they did which covered two to three films was about three to four hours long. Jeez. Yeah, these guys get in depth. But it's never boring and it's always informative. And they were talking about Exists on one of their podcasts and declared it was the best Bigfoot movie ever made. And I thought, well, you know, they, the way they talked, the passion they had for this film, I've got to see this. And I saw it was available on uh, pay-per-view or video on demand, whatever you want to call it these days, and I seriously considered actually paying to watch it, but I'm one of these people, I like having the physical media. Yeah. Yeah. So I waited, and eventually Walmart got it in, Uh, I think it was $9.99 for DVD when it came out. Bad. No, not not bad. I would have preferred to have it on Blu-ray, but they didn't have the Blu-ray. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I went on ahead, I spent the 10 bucks. I got it, I brought it home, I watched it, I very much enjoyed it, and I immediately said, this is a movie my son needs to see, because he is a Bigfoot uh, aficionado. Nice. Uh, yeah. Enthusiast. Aficionado is a little Crazy little much. Uh, whatever. Eh. Uh, and we've also discussed the possibility of uh, backing up Watching Exist with... Willow Creek. Right. Another found footage Bigfoot movie. Uh, Willow Creek is directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, who most people know as a comedian and star of a couple of the Police Academy movies. But Bobcat Goldthwait is also the director of some of the best comedy movies. And forget the fact that they're comedy, some of the best movies that I've seen in the last 10 years. Uh, starting with Shakes the Clown, and God Bless America, World's Greatest Dad, uh, City, or, uh, Sleeping Dogs Lie, all of them, fantastic, must-watch movies. And Willow Creek was his first horror movie. And while I don't think it was necessarily a rousing success, it was certainly watchable, certainly enjoyable. In fact, as I, I was telling my son about it, when we got the DVD, or when I did, the first thing I did was I watched it, and then I immediately watched it again with the commentary. And for a film to make you want to not only watch it, but turn around and watch the exact same movie within two minutes of having finished it, even if it's you don't consider it the greatest movie in the world, that's got to say something for it. There's, yeah. there's something there. Oh, yeah. So... Next week exists, and if we can squeeze it in, a uh, double feature with Willow Creek. Right. Fortunately, they're both very short films. Yeah, Willow Creek's only 77 minutes, and exists is 81 minutes. So. Right, so we'd be looking at, uh, like, what two did you say, two and, two and a half, half hours, hours, roughly? Yeah. 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 So if we don't get to it, you all will know next week. I mean, 
But we will definitely be doing exists, you know, next week. There's definitely least. Bigfoot on the horizon. Yes. One way or the other. <laughs> Alright. Well, uh, with that, we will uh, go ahead and we'll see you all next week. And, uh, I don't know, I'll call it done there. Any final thoughts, anybody? No. Nah, I got nothing. Alright. Alright. Later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.